this week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Zia and Tim Minichi. Jay, we're back again with another episode thanks to our Dig Me Out Union on Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. Jay is joining us from uh, the... <laughs> the other side. Uh, the other side. <laughs> um, it's very... For, the screen is very white. For people I, not on video, my background is very white today. So I just yes. I have an angelic glow behind me. It's like It's like mayonnaise has been spread across the lens. Uh, that's gross. Okay. Yeah. Uh, what's not gross. Oof, that's a, well, that's a I mean, I'm going to be honest. It'd be gross and a little bit delicious. Yeah. Like well, me? if it's a tangy Mayo, I, you know, some Mayo's are bland, but when you yeah, get like a, little a little tang in your Mayo, a little lemon in there. Yes. A little, yeah. little paprika. <laughs> little spice it up that paprika um we're gonna do a poll episode folks this is a this is our august poll august poll for 2023 it's where uh you go to dig me you put an album in the hopper and then it comes out of the hopper via the poll uh, or via this tournament, and then it gets narrowed down from many to one. Many albums enter, one album leaves. And there were, what, 18 albums in this poll? Two rounds of nine, I believe, for right. August. Yep. So let's talk about what got submitted um, in round one of our August poll tournament widow's walk by the forbidden forbidden dimension by richard waterman developer by silkworm suggested by willie dylan leisure noise by gay dad suggested by bill davidson recipe for hate uh by bad religion suggested by eric peterson the pace is glacial by seam suggested by dominic devito lions and tigers and bears by the Adventures, suggested by Keith Badge. Speed is Dreaming by St. Johnny, suggested by Jonathan Lee. Number two, uh, by Blackheart Procession, suggested by Vadim Taver. And Metasexual by Joydrop, suggested by Mike Bankhead. And I believe in this one, our two winners were Joydrop and Gay Dad which I did not see that coming. I thought for sure Silkworm, because a lot of people have talked about Silkworm over the years, that we should talk about Silkworm, that we should be including them in the discussion. And we've never really talked about Silkworm, and they only got 3% of the vote. They got the least amount. Maybe it was this album. Maybe we we got the wrong album in there from uh, our hopper. But it was Joy Drop, Metasexual, Gay Dad, Leisure Noise, um, I have not listened to Joy Drop, but I, I do remember Gay Dad. There was like a, a buzz about that band when they came out, them and menswear and like these second tier Britpop bands that were coming out in the 90s. I, I believe that's 
who it was, or I'm mixing them up with another band. I don't remember. It's been a long time. Second poll, Jay. Second poll. Second time. Two of the bands had albums in this one as well. Bad Religion, Stranger Than Fiction, suggested by Eric Peterson, and Libertine by Silkworm, suggested by Willie Dillon. So we've got two Silkworms and two <laughs> Bad Religions. Yeah. Uh, they could It could have been a Silkworm, Silkworm, Bad Religion, Bad Religion final, but that's not how it's shaken out. Uh, tag team. Um, the other picks were Blow by Straight Jacket Fitz, suggested by Richard Waterman. Black Music by Chocolate Jesus, Chocolate Genius, not Jesus, Chocolate um, Genius, suggested by Bill Davidson. The Self-Titled by Cause and Effect, suggested by Lars Lindbad. Let Me Come Over by Buffalo Tom, suggested by Kevin. Griefus, Gronks, and Sheet uh, by Love Cup, suggested by Franklin. Pacer. By the Amps, the Kim Deal side project, suggested yeah. by Andrew McGinnis, and Mods Carve the Pig, Assassins, Toads, and God's Flesh by Thought Industry, suggested by Mick Nuggets. And his comment was, album title says it all. I don't know what the album title says. Ah, uh, yeah. I don't know what there are a couple of uh, tongue twisters in there. Yeah, there's a lot of words going on. Mm-hmm. Too many words. Uh, out of that, our winners, Bad Religion and Buffalo Tom. So you're going into the final. You got Bad Religion, Stranger Than Fiction, Buffalo Tom, Let Me Come Over, Joy Drop, Metasexual, Gay Dad, Please Your Noise. What was at the top of the charts this week? <laughs> I can hear you slipping into that. It, it just sort of happened. <laughs> you want to start, start talking about a, a dead dog? I got a letter from little Bobby Jones <laughs> in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And he sprites. My dog died while I was listening to Buffalo Tom. Would you play Buffalo Tom? Uh, I listened religiously to Casey Kasem's top 40, top 40 countdown when I was a kid, religious. I never missed it. It was one of the wow. most important things. I, oh my I goodness. absolutely, I would tape it and listen to it over. Like I get my, those tapes. No, they probably replay those somewhere. Well, they do. Right. Yeah. Uh, okay. Um, there's radio stations that just play them every weekend, like based oh on, like, God. it's like the one from like 50 years ago, they play it this weekend to match the dates, that kind there of thing. You go. Yeah. That's it. They, it's not just TV that's syndicated folks. Radio is also syndicated. Uh, as if you're aware of, uh, talk radio, you also, you know, that's been syndicated for a long time. So out of these four coming in last was joy drops, metasexual coming in second last or third was leisure noise by gay dad and then i thought this was gonna be a little bit closer but it ended up being a pull away for uh bad religion they ended up winning 43 percent over 31 percent over buffalo tom so for the first time in 12 and a half 13 years we're gonna be talking about bad religion on this show we took i Here think we, co- we covered them on the punk pop punk in the 90s episode sort of know briefly but we haven't dedicated a full album so 
did you have you ever listened to Bad Religion? Like really dug into them at all, or have you just kind of been? It's been cursory. I know you've heard of them. It's not. Yeah, no. This. Uh, so they were a band that I had heard the name, and then this record came out. It got heavy radio airplay, at least in Cleveland, um, and I was a little taken back. Like I knew they were a punk band, but I. Uh, I mean, we'll get into the review, but I mean, it's it's pretty melodic and, and has a lot of hard rock flavor to it. So I was uh, intrigued. You know, I it was one of those bands that would come on the radio and, you know, I would always listen to it. I wouldn't mm-hmm. change the dial. So I enjoyed them from that. I didn't uh, dive into the catalog. I didn't get the records, but they were a band I liked. I, I liked the sound, at least from this record when I heard it at the time. And um sort of changed my perspective on maybe what they were and what they were about based on it so did you know them a little bit i actually have mp3s that i probably got off a of limewire 20 years ago for like the first i want to say like 10 albums yeah. um, i don't have anything past like 2000 so i have this record and I had listened to them at some point, like I had gone through and, and checked out all the albums uh, years ago, but I never really spent a lot of time with the band. I know more about them just by reading other things about like other bands and and just because they're so important to like the whole California, um, uh, L.A. punk rock scene that they just kind of come up in the discussion constantly uh so a little bit of history i didn't realize that they were this they had been around so long they formed in 1980 mm-hmm. and it was the original lineup was it's like the founding members is greg graffin uh vocalist uh, along with uh, jay bentley and brent gerwitz um brian baker who's been in a number of bands has been a member of the group since 94 so he came in right around this record um, they've also had recently Mike Dimkich has been the guitarist and um, Jamie Miller has been the drummer for the band, but they've gone through a lot of rhythm section, not rhythm section, but second guitar and drummers. Yeah. Um, they also have broken up. So they, they actually got to, they were together from 80 to 83 and they put out their first album in 81 called how, how, could hell be any worse um that's when their first drummer quit <laughs> and uh it sold about twelve thousand copies on epitaph which was the label that um brett gerwitz started that's brett gerwitz of this band is the he owns epitaph records so they break up and um they end up getting they i think they broke up around 80 like in 83 and then got back together but then they put out a progressive rock album called into the unknown which is driven by keyboards and is like slow and it doesn't sound anything like the band it was like very uh off kilter compared to what they were doing um after that they're pretty much consistently putting out records and and touring constantly uh they did have a little bit of a break from 83 to 87. And then in 88, they put out Suffer. Eight, and then pretty much every other year, every year they're putting out records. 89, No Control. Um, 
Against the Grain in 90, Generator in 92, Recipe for Hate in 93. And I feel like that's where I first heard of the band was in 93. Because like that's when the pop punk scene sort of started bubbling up in California sure. to like to like a national level. Yeah. Um, and then that was their last uh, record on Epitaph. They decided, even though they, even though the, the, you know, Brett Gerwitz owned Habitat, they were like, hey, Atlantic's offering a ton of money. Let's go to Atlantic and see what we can do with all this Atlantic money. So this album, Stranger Than Fiction, was their first one on Atlantic Records. Although Epitaph got to do the reissue when, when they did that. Um, it made its number 87 on the Billboard 200. This was followed by The Gray Race, also on Atlantic in 1997. That one was produced by Rick Ocasek. Uh, hmm. And then followed the following, or yeah, uh, following year, uh, Atlantic, uh, sorry, No Substance on Atlantic in 98. 2000, they released uh, The New America, which was produced by Todd Rundgren. Wow, okay. Yeah. I had no went, idea they were this adventurous with producers. Then they went back to Epitaph and they self-produced um, the process of belief for 2002. Uh, they put out uh, the Empire Strikes First in 2004. Again, self-produced Epitaph. New Maps of Hell in 2007. Uh, Joe Barisi produced that one. He's and he's worked with like Ju- Jesus Lizard and Pennywise and. Caius and Melvin. So in that wheelhouse. And that uh that came out in two, July of 2007. But on a live album, The Descent of Man came out in 2010, again produced by Joe Barisi, True North in 2013, again with Joe Barisi on Epitaph. Um, they did a Christmas songs album in oh 2013. My. Well, EP. It's an EP because the songs are so short. It's nine songs and it's 19 minutes. Um, Age of Unreason is their last record. That one came out on Epitaph in 2019. It was produced by Carlos de la Garza, who has worked with Jimmy World, Tegan Tegan and Sarah, um, Paramore, Charlie Bliss, Fits in the Tantrums. So definitely like, you know, a different sound. Um, And... I don't know if they're working on anything now, but they've been pretty consistent in terms of putting stuff out. So I would not be uh, surprised if uh, if they were, they're not like they're together now and all that kind of stuff. Uh, about this record specifically, there were four singles released. And the first one, 21st Century Digital Boy, is actually a re-recording of their of the song that originally appeared on against the grain which came out in 1990 hmm. but so they recorded it for the album and then they went and toured and the, and Brett Gerowitz was like we're playing it better on tour than we did on record i really want to record that re-record that song cuz it do, it's not it doesn't sound like what we're doing now and um <laughs> Greg Graffin said you know we're a very democratic band um, we have five members. If three of the members vote for something, then that happens like that. We, we, we yeah. respect the democracy unless somebody is like throwing a fit and like absolutely doesn't want to do something. But he's like, yeah. we were all cool with it because Brett wrote the band or Brett wrote the song 
And he was like, I feel like this is a, this is a good chance for a single. And since we're going to Atlantic, we didn't record it right the first time. Let's try to get it right. And he was right. It actually did end up like doing okay for them. It made it to number 11 on the U S alternative airplay chart for billboard. Um, but what's interesting, well, we'll get into the, the context of the song later, but, uh, it ended up being when they did release this, the re-release single, Andy Wallace, the producer did, did the re-release, uh, reissue or produce or produced it for him and also worked on the record. Uh, they also released infected stranger than fiction and incomplete as the singles, all of the songs. It's almost every other song is either written by Breckerowitz or Greg Graffin track eight. Uh, television was co-written with by uh, Brett Gerwitz with Jeanette Neapolitino from Concrete Blonde. Oh, okay. It features Tim Armstrong from Rancid singing on that yep. song. And then there are, of course, uh, European, European and Japanese versions that have more songs on them. There's actually 18 total songs if you get the Japanese version. Um. There are some. There are a few other people like uh, Jim Lindbergh of Pennywise does backing vocals on Marked. Wayne Kramer of the MC5 plays lead guitar on the first track, Incomplete. So they use that Atlantic money to bring <laughs> to fly some friends <laughs> in and be like, "Hey, let's uh, we'll put you up at a hotel." And, uh, sure. I don't know, but that, that sounds like what they did. I mean, that's pretty cool that they were able to get some interesting folks in to to write with and to play on the record. Like I said. It, uh, Epitaph reissued it. They actually put out a uh, a remastered reissue in 2018. So uh, the band basically has the record back from Atlantic, at, I guess. So a couple comments from our patrons. Um, Matt Stop said, still riding the Bad Religion wave because he voted for it in the first poll. Catchy, almost post-grungy with tons of hits. Their peak, Jeremy Men said, those first two Atlantic albums with all the guest, tar- guest stars with my faves. I probably go back to Recipe for Hate more often, but that's because I burn myself off, burn myself out on Stranger Than Fiction. Probably their best album from beginning to end. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, Terry McCook said, I know that era of bad religion is controversial. That's exactly why Stranger Than Fiction is great, is a great record to discuss. Lots of backstory and lots of great music. It was my gateway to their whole catalog through Infected and 21st Century Digital Boy. And no one in alternative rock punk understands melody and harmony better than Greg Graffin. Um, And Matt's original comment was, I love thought industry but stranger than fiction rocks in a different way than a lot of their other releases it's hella catchy and seemed to fit right in with the post grunge sound that was making its way in the mainstream i think that's what made so many of those songs fm rock staples in the 90s i love this record as we mentioned this was 94 that this came out and i believe uh which is the same year as dookie so this is like the year of pop punk exploding in because that came out in February of 94. Uh, this album came out in August of 94. I'm trying to remember when the Offsprings album came out. I want to say it was either the year before or this year with um, 
let's see. Yeah, Smash comes out in 94, which has come out in play. Oh, wow. yep. It's self-esteem. So, I mean, yep. you, have pro- you have one of the biggest albums in terms of Smash, in terms of singles and stuff like that. You have Green Day, which is, again, one of the biggest albums of the decade. Um, so, I, I don't know that there's any bigger year for pop punk in the 90s uh, than this year. Let's get into this record, Jay. Let's talk about um, Stranger Than Fiction by Bad Religion. Tell me something you liked about this record. It's uh, the vocals are the star here. I, I think it's this really dynamic integration of melody and intensity. Um, so you've got, I think, a voice delivery. Um, that is unique distinctive it's got a great he's got a great tone he's got a little grit in there you know he can he can bark a little bit and really you know put some weight behind it but he's he can deliver a melody which i think is super effective uh and he's got a really strong sense of how to write you know these songs are very accessible from a vocal standpoint you know they're very easy to like grab onto you kind of get the feel familiar but when you really listen to them especially the lyrics you don't always know where they're going or they're certainly not cliched in any way so it's this really interesting juxtaposition of this punk intensity and attitude and energy with a vocal that is really forward easy to grab onto and identify with um you know in this package that's kind of unlike anything else i mean even those bands you were talking about at the time like you know i I don't think they sound like this Uh, there's a there's a little bit more of a hard rock edge to the production uh there's a bit more care in like how the vocals are produced so you, you you get a punk you get a punchy lead vocal there's a lot of really cool background vocals on this album and cool harmonies. So it's, it's really deceptive. Like the songs start off and you're like, okay, this is a punk song. And honestly, musically, a lot of times if you took the vocal out, it could be anybody like fairly nondescript, you know, it's big production sounds huge. Sounds great, but not always any, you know, musically anything going on here that's incredibly distinct. But as soon as you hear the first couple notes of the vocal, right, you know it's them. Uh, and you can grab onto it and you sort of know where it's going. Um, it's very accessible. It's pretty hooky. Um, so I, I think it's this really cool combination of those two things. And yeah, a lot of, often I found myself really intrigued with like kind of the hard rock roots of this, like what bands you know are kind of creeping through here. Um to give it that sound, like what are the touchstones outside of punk that are kind of making this up, which was interesting. Like there were little certain parts I was like, oh, that kind of looks like a that sounds like an old school uh, scorpion song or something, the way that riff is done. And you know, so that was kind of fun. Um, I, I think the last thing that really makes it, I think, distinct from the bands that you talked about, 
and maybe a little bit unique in the punk space is that lyrically I I really enjoyed it because it felt more like these were like the touchstone for me was like, oh, these are kind of like pro, more protest folk songs than they are like punk songs. They're more about like we, us, society, themes like that versus me, right? There's like no self, there's not self-loathing here. There's not like, which you hear in that first Green Day record, you know, it's a lot about like what I'm doing, what my life is like my angst, my anger, me, 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 me. I mean, you even hear that in like Blink-182 and, you know, a lot of these bands. And this, I don't know when I, when I listen to this, this isn't about him or anyone. It's not about the writer. Um, it's more about like observations about society and bigger topics it's more about us which i thought was pretty cool like it has this anthemic almost at times feel to it which again you wouldn't expect if you just listen to the music um i think the handshake is a good example of that mm-hmm. um 20th century digital boy is another good example of that you're like damn this is like this is an anthem song this is pretty it's pretty epic So that's some of the stuff that I like. It's a it's a pretty distinctive combination. And even though on paper the pieces are all very understood, well stood and established, something about the way they put it together can only be them, which I think is pretty cool. What worked for you? Well, you mentioned it. Greg Graffin's uh vocal and and lyrics are really interesting. Um, if you take that out of the equation, there's a lot of this, which is fairly straightforward musically. It's stuff we've heard before. But when you layer him and the backing vocals, I mean, he's not, they have, they're doing like three-part harmonies in some of these songs yeah, with regards to wild. adding. It's really cool to hear that. But his wit as a songwriter and as a lyricist really comes through. I'm glad you mentioned the handshake because... It's basically a it's an attack on handshakes as this like corporate sort of faceless, even though you're face to face, this sort of um, uh, soulless interaction between people. Um, The chorus goes, uh, this is the way of the modern world. Everyone's vying for patronage. This is the way of the modern world and something's got to give. And then the outro is fend for yourself, fend for yourself. 
and shun the handshake. I believe in unity and I will, and it keeps repeating, fend for yourself, fend for yourself, shun the handshake. And I am willing to compromise. I believe in unity. I'm not going to lie or sell my soul. Something he's got to give. I just like the idea of like taking that image of like two guys in business suits and it's this contract. It's not about like connecting, even though you're touching hands. It's just about this business contract that's happening between people um, and him saying every time you shake someone's hand and it feels like your best friend, could it be that it's only superficiality without regard to well-being, without an inkling of compromise? Handshakes are nothing but a subtle fuck you and contracts determine the best friendships. Like it's, it's, uh, it's not something you would hear like in a offspring or a green day song. Right. It's much headier than that. And I, I definitely appreciated him taking this, really um you know it's like it's almost like a, a postgraduate course of 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 pop punk <laughs> you know what i mean but it's like, still super accessible though yeah, like when you read those catchy. lyrics you're like man that's so clumsy but when you hear him sing it you're like oh that's not clumsy at all like oh yeah i mean in inner logic it opens with automatons with business suits swinging black boxes sequestering the blueprints of daily life <laughs> that's that is not that does not roll off the tongue when you say it but somehow yeah. when he sings it 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 makes sense uh and that's not the, i mean there's lyrics all over the place like that where it's just like you read it and you go that that can't possibly um make sense uh, there's a in i had to look up because um on the title track strange of the fiction um he uses the word febrile yeah i didn't know what the heck that meant i didn't know either <laughs> i was like is that a typo it can mean different things it can mean feverish or showing symptoms of a fever or like nervous energy so a febrile, shocking, violent smack, and the children are hopping for a heart attack. Tonight, the windows are watching, the streets all conspire, and the lamppost can't stop crying. I mean, this is like on the, this is like beat poetry stuff. In, in, yeah. you know, it's, and again, we're talking about pop melodies over punk music, which is pretty amazing. A febrile shock. And I, I will admit, like, I didn't always, when I've listened to Greg Graffin and Bad Religion, I don't always connect with it. 
because he's so rapid fire and and he, it's so dense at times, mm-hmm. which I obviously have experienced with dense music, having listened to the Manchester Preachers a number of times. But yeah. um, it really takes time to. I think this was a good process because I did have to like listen to it over and over again. I couldn't just like listen to one album, move on to the next one. Okay. I heard that. All right. What's this? I kind of had to just keep playing it over and over again. And then, and then the hooks drill into you and the melodies that are really catchy drill into you. And then you start paying to the the lyric, paying attention to the lyrics. And it sort of clicks at that point, but like the chorus of stranger than fiction is, cockroach naps rattling traps how many devils can you fit upon a match head caringosity killed the Kerouac cat sometimes truth (laughs) is stranger than fiction yeah that's a pretty hooky song too that's one of the singles right (laughs) um i don't even know that caringosity is a word I don't, I, I have to, I'll Google that, but like, that just seems made up. Uh, caringosity. Oh, uh, apparently this is a pr- it's caring plus curiosity. I don't know what that, but okay. Okay. Uh, this there's is a pretty fun listen with the, uh, an Apple music and you can turn the lyrics on and they animate. It's right. Usually <laughs> that's a little underwhelming, but for this record, it was like, as dynamic watching that as the music, like just, you know what I mean? The punctuation and the word choices and everything. It was like, just like very, it was like a whole other layer or way to experience the record that really worked well. It's kind of fun. So what's interesting is that, um, you know, it's being sung by Greg Graffin, but the, it was written by Brett Gerowitz. So mm-hmm. he had to, you know, make that happen. Yeah. In terms of, the, and he on the, um, I did a Google search on that word and it comes up the bad religion um, message board from 2004. Mm-hmm. Brett Gurowitz actually explained it. He said, caring is caring plus curiosity in the strong stranger in the fiction. I talk about a few writers who are plagued with delusionment despite, or perhaps because of their brilliance, as the saying goes, curiosity killed the cat and carrying too much may have been a condition of Kerouac's. And so Caringosity killed the Kerouac cat. One of my favorite writers, by the way. I'm still confused, but that's fine. It's it's cool, and sometimes lyrics don't have to necessarily make perfect sense as long as they make musical sense and and they they yeah. give you an interesting like flow of consonants and vowels. Is what I will say. Yeah. Um. But good to know that there's a bad religion message board where they're actually answering <laughs> questions about this because I'm sure there are more than a few questions about this. Because the chorus in that song, it changes each time. So that, that's the first chorus. And then the second chorus, he mentions um, Wolf, which I believe is Thomas Wolf and Hemingway. Uh, I don't know if there's any other writers mentioned in that song or not. But anyway... Um, I also, th- this sounds pretty good as far as a record goes. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, I know it's been remastered and reissued and whatnot, but, you know, sometimes with uh, punk rock records that have aged, 
you can they they haven't aged well in the musical department just because just in terms of production like whether oh, yeah. it's yeah. you know the especially hurts the drums but the guitars can sound you know tinny and small and you know they don't they don't necessarily didn't not everything was recorded with the best gear sometimes or under the best circumstances but this being atlantic record produced by andy or co-produced by andy wallace seems like they knew what they were doing i mean this is 14 years into the band's existence too they kind of probably had an idea of how to get in the studio and work um, by the time they're making their eighth record so yeah and andy wallace produced it and he's done a lot of big records as a producer or a mixer so the the tones are there um the deluxe version on apple music has been remastered it for dolby atmos it, it sounded big it sounded really good now this did get hate when it came out because of the fact that they signed to atlantic so it was considered a sellout record uh which i think is funny because there's nothing about this that makes me think oh this band sold out like <laughs> this yeah he's going after so many different targets and topics um i don't know what they would have been expecting for it to I don't know. I, 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 don't I mean, know I guess what... if you call like, you know, a big budget and spending money on recording than a sellout, then I, I suppose, but yeah, it's un it feels uncom uncompromised lyrically. I mean, if anything, like the, the money helped <laughs> in terms of giving them access to, you know, a, um, a top-notch producer to work with and honing, mm -hmm these songs i mean th this is a 15 song record and it still comes in at 38 minutes that's an average of like two and a half minutes a song i think there's one oh, yeah. song over three minutes yeah, yeah these are sharp these are sharp the songwriting i didn't mention that but it's pretty pretty sophisticated stuff there there's some pre-courses on this album too mm -hmm. um Inner logic is one example of that harmony that comes in. It's like, what? Like, where did that come from? Um, I think it's infected. The pre-course for that is really cool too. You know, there's some, they're not just like, it's deceptive. Look, some of these songs start and you're like, okay, it's going to be verse, course, first, and we're done. But they throw these curves in, like these pre-choruses and these little dynamics or these layered vocals. You're like, okay, this is different. Like there's, there's a little bit more sophistication going on here. glad you mentioned infected because in terms of what doesn't work that's a song that does work for me because they slow the tempo down a little bit 
there's some dynamics in that song. Like when they get to that pre-chorus part, when he's like, let's talk about nothing. And there's like a stop. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's that descending, like, like that riff is really cool. When they are in prototype punk mode and it's boom, 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 the music matters less to me. Yep. And I, I don't find myself as interested in revisiting those songs as I am like 21st century boy or infected or some of the other rec- uh, some of the other songs on the record that are less in the straight up punk end of things and move a little bit more into like pop punk or I don't know skate punk I don't know what whatever different punk subgenres you want to throw out there yeah it's um I'm with you it's my same I have the same take on like what didn't work to me it really just comes down to the probably the drumming uh great it sounds like a great drummer but I think the songs that you're calling out and the ones that I'm thinking of too they're just using this the same punk beat you know it just it's boom into the punk beat two minutes of the punk beat on the next song into the same beat again so uh when you get to those songs that slow down they they're a little bit more driving like infected is a good example even like television has some variations inner logic 20th century boy like uh, i think it's slumber is a little bit more mid-tempo like they're so they're, they're absolutely critical for this record and i would take a few more of them and even if it just meant like hey dude pick a different beat like you can play intense, but just find another way to do it. Um, some of those are fine. Like I think incomplete is a good example where it really establishes them quickly on the record. It almost has like a motorhead vibe to it. It's like mm-hmm. that intense musically. I don't mind a couple of those, but right. it's like 70% of the record. Uh, maybe 40% of the record like that would be more preferable for me. I, I find myself not disliking those songs. I'm less engaged and it just is taking me longer um, to really dig into like, I think on those like the vocal, the hook, because I'm just, it's so relentless too. You know, you're just like, right. Boom. Start, song starts, song stops. Next one starts. It sounds exactly like the last song that stopped from a rhythm standpoint yes and you're like oh, so like can we roll down the tempo for a second here guys like right or if you're going to do that do like television i think is an interesting case because they do that it's almost uh it almost has like a, a british pop punk feel or punk feel like television 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 yeah. mm-hmm. that's really interesting that's that's different it's this yep. gang chorusy kind of thing going on you got you know tim Anderson, tim armstrong from yeah. rancid showing up that's a good change of pace without really changing the thing changing what you do and i agree with you um you know there are spots where was it um like the handshake is still up tempo but it's it's not the boom chi boom chi boom chi boom chi like yeah. It, it's just slow enough that it's, yes. they can get away from that, but they can still be up tempo. I don't yes. need them to be so slow that it's uh, just a rock song. Um, yep. 
it has just enough flavor to it that like oh that's a distinct sounding drum part um even though it's not tremendously different like the feels a little different than dynamics so even in television it had there's some like sometimes like the guitars are offset and they kind of do these counters and stuff that help a lot that television chorus to me like sounds more like the wild hearts you know mm-hmm. kind of vibe see that one works so I, yeah i i don't mind some of it and it can be like fairly close to what it is now there's just a little bit more variety also the way the, the, some of the songs start too like yeah just felt like man it's another song like this another song like this and then the vocal starts just like oh yeah this one's different but like the beginning part you're like, i'm disengaging i think because i'm like oh this is gonna be the same thing again yeah um you know like did you mention slumber like that's one that it takes some interesting turns i think the thing that i was missing is uh you know brett gerwitz is here you know playing guitar greg graffin is playing is a uh, the lead vocalist jay bentley who's been with the band the whole time is on bass and singing backup but i i don't know what's going on in the bass a lot of these songs like they're just locked into whatever the guitar parts are there yeah. i would have liked for one a few times when you get to a chorus or, or not when you get to chorus when you get to a verse it doesn't have to be the same one every time but like drop the guitars out for a sec and just let the bass carry a verse i know that's a very 90s thing to do the the soft loud yeah. part but yeah. just give the bass a moment of its own and because it really doesn't happen on this record um that's that it's was one was of the missing. uh yeah, I'm with you. It's one of the um, you hear it a little bit in, in Infected, I think, because the verses open up a bit. Yes, it's one of the downsides of this style production too. Um, yeah, it's they're using a lot of compression. Mm-hmm. It all it's you're always at a max volume feel, you know. So when you combine that with these relent, relentless drums. And it feels like the band's always at 11 intensity. You know, it's a it's a lot. And then you got very dense. At, oftentimes, lyrically, it's very dense. You know, it can be yes. quite, quite a bit to take in. But, you know, look, I, I think, you know, foreshadowing here what my brain's going to be. The reason it's working is because these songs are pretty short, man. Mm-hmm. You know, they're in and out a lot of, under two minutes or two thirty, three minutes they're they're in and out of the song so very forgiving if you can get to be that efficient with what you're trying to get across i think infected is the only song i hear that gets out over four minutes mm-hmm. and that's probably just because the tempo's a little a little less right um now i mentioned that this is the same year of dookie and smash both of those were multi-million selling albums. This went gold, which means it sold about 500,000 copies. And it, apparently, according to the band, it still like sells for them. So it still moves copies every year, Yeah, um, which makes sense. I mean, this is a, a good sounding record. It's got really good songs. Um, probably their most, in terms of uh, radio friendly song, 21st Century Digital Boy. Because um, there was a video for that. Uh, 
uh, who was the director? It was like a movie director who did it. Um, Gore Verbinski was oh, the director okay. oh. who uh, directed Pirates of the Caribbean. And um, uh, what else did he do? The Lone Ranger. He did mm. three three Pirates of the Caribbean uh, uh, movies. And uh, yeah, so the fact that it didn't reach the same heights as Dookie and Smash, I think it makes sense. It's not, there's no long view. There's no basket case. There's no self-esteem. There's, there's not a song that's like, you're going to put on a put in the, um, you know, the playlist at the bar in 1994 and all the kid, college kids are going to sing along with. This is a little headier than that. This is still going to yeah. appeal to like the, I don't know, like the, the punk rockers more so than like the people who are listening to more mainstream music. A little but, more college, right? I, I guess another way to think about it. Like, I think this is a band that would, it's going to resonate a lot more if you're in the 18 to 24 range than it is the 12 to 18 range. Whereas I think golf spring and green day are going to be much more um, relevant to the, to that audience. Now it is funny because regarding that 21st century digital voice song, you would think it's like a criticism of, you know, technology and people being addicted to their technology this is long before cell phones right so greg graffin who is a a bit of a nerd was interviewed by scientific america in 2010 and they asked him your most famous song is this one which pokes fun at our gadget laden era and he said oh no we love technology and gadgets we use irony in 60 percent of our music 21st century digital boy is an ironic twist characterizing the youth of today. The truth is that even though the song was written in 1990, it was clear that youth were going to be affected for good and bad by digital technology. It's probably because we loved video games so much. Interesting. I didn't, well, I didn't really expect for eight for 60% of the songs to be irony. Like I, I'm sort of taking everything at face value. That's very earnest, but there are being ironic in some of these songs. So I'm like, Okay, well, that's that's actually good. They're not so angry <laughs> that they, there's actually a bit of like humor to this. Yeah, I mean, that came across to me. Like they felt anthemic at times and protesty, or obviously like sharing a very specific point of view. But there was also like it wasn't didn't feel preachy or right. It kind of blows my mind that somebody wrote this song in 1990. Yeah. I mean, I mean, what technology did we have? CD players? We had <laughs> cable TV. I mean, I guess video games. I guess video Nintendo. games. The NES. Well, was... we had the little football game that you held in your hand and the little dots moved around. I mean, I got addicted to that for sure. <laughs> I was playing on the bus every day to school. Those were awesome. Just, yeah. a little, just think about that it's just a little box and you just moved a dot and that's how you scored touchdowns <laughs> imagine explain explaining that to some kid who now who's like got a vr setup and he's doing like right oh my god um we're old so let's get into our overall ratings on this record 
were the album better EP or decent single for Stranger Than Fiction by Bad Religion? Jay, where do you land? I landed in a worthy album. It's a rocker, man. I. It's kind of funny. This is, I think, labeled as hard rock and uh, <laughs> and Apple Music now. It's not even really categorized as punk, and that's what resonated with me at the time. I heard it, you know, in '94, and I kind of wish I would have um, taken my uh, whatever I was doing at the time, mowing lawns or minimum wage or whatever, and spent a little bit. <laughs> actually picking the record up because I probably would have liked it a lot at, at the time too, but I'm glad I finally got around to it. And um, yeah, I think it's a worthy album. I, it's you know, a band that's just not only distinct, but also pretty successful in this genre. I agree. It's a worthy album. Um, I feel like whatever backlash it got at the time is fairly undeserved. Uh, you could maybe say the production is too, you know, like you said, it's it's loud, it's compressed. Um, but I don't think it affected their, you know, their songwriting and or their or their approach. Um, but this does skirt the line, as you mentioned, between like punk rock and then just straight up hard rock. Um, it's it's as far away from like, you know like hardcore as I can imagine, Um, which I guess when they started out, they were probably considered hardcore punk, but I don't know because it was 80. You know, I think of when I think of punk in 1980, it's not this necessarily. Say it's a much, uh, I don't know, different sound. It's more of a, uh, you're thinking of like the clash and stuff like that, which is much more expansive. Uh, But yeah, I just looked on, on, Wikipedia, the first album is described as is listener to the genre of hardcore punk as opposed to just punk or skate punk or all the other punks that there are. And uh, yeah, that's two worthy albums for Stranger Than Fiction by Bad Religion. The, uh, the deluxe edition on streaming has three additional tracks too, by the way. They're oh. Obviously from the sessions, they sound exactly they like the record produce like the record they're not uh maybe they were b-sides they're not like demos or you know throwaway tracks they're pretty solid got it yeah up until uh recipe for hate they were listed as hardcore punk and then it switches to melodic hardcore (laughs) okay i mean okay real real drilling down specific So if you don't have any melody, you're just hardcore. But if you add melody, you're melodic hardcore. Right. Got it. All right. Well, we need to thank all of our patrons for voting in this. We need to thank Eric Peterson for suggesting it. Um, If you would like to be like Eric, you can go to digmeoutpodcast.com. You can suggest an album at that uh, website via our submit an album form. Put in the album title, the album artist, and leave us a little note. And it'll end up in the hopper for a future poll and you can vote in those polls by joining us at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com we have polls for the tournaments we have polls for uh when our albums are up for review that our patrons select we have polls for our aughts episodes which are exclusive to our patreon community six a year 
plus a, a back catalog of like two dozen 80s uh, exclusive episodes that we did over the last couple of years. And just by joining us uh, at uh, Patreon and becoming a part of the union, it's also where you can join our Discord where we talk about all kinds of stuff. There was a lot of Mar- Mariah Carey talk this week. And uh, one of our patrons has a haunted bathroom, and we've been talking about that. Have you seen those pictures, Jay? <laughs> I haven't. I need to go. You look need at to this. go. You need to go and go into the scientific. We have a scientific Who section. Who is this? Um, our Who? friend Richard Waterman. If oh. You go, if you go in there, you'll see he has oh, a poltergeist. Man. He has a poltergeist in his bathroom, um, or it's like, um, it's like a time bandit situation. I'm not sure uh perhaps uh some sort of like alternate dimension like maybe there's a, a haunted bathtub I, i'm not sure but it looks like a volcano is in his bathtub lighting up um and it's terrifying and we have no idea <laughs> it's an interior room there's no exterior light hitting this room yeah so where is this light coming from that's causing his uh, bathtub to light up maybe it was the same light that was uh lighting me beyond the start of this episode just sort of surrounding me from I don't know where enveloping you lifting you up to the uh you're being raptured Jay that's what's happening (laughs) um if you join Patreon you can also read the box newsletter which you can sign up for it's our Substack newsletter comes out every week with a release calendar of new releases relevant to 80s 90s and aughts music that includes new music new books we just announced uh, today uh, our uh, previous guest, Bill Janovitz, who has written a couple of music-related books, is going to be doing a book on the cars with the help of Elliot Easton and some other folks. So I'm I'm really looking forward to that because that's a band that like I I didn't realize it until he said he was doing the book. I was like, yeah, I, I actually want to read that book. That would there's a lot I want to know about that band that I don't really know because that was pre you know everybody being on the internet and sharing everything that they do all the time. So uh, be interested to uh, read about the cars in 2025 or whenever that book comes out. Um, you got it wrong. It was Hal that has the lava bathtub. Are you sure? I thought yeah, it was Richard. I'm, okay. I'm looking at it right now. Okay. Uh, sorry. And um, our newsletter comes out, like I mentioned, every week, plus two reviews of new releases, one minute reviews every week finally apple podcasts is where you go to leave positive feedback for the podcast for jay i'm tim we're out and we'll be back next week with another episode of dig me out Dig me out